0: Amen. Awesome. Well, you guys can have a seat. We are continuing a series called The Struggle is Real. And if you wonder what that's all about, uh, we actually started the series last week. And we had just the real amazing opportunity to hear David Meyer speak. And, and he shared about his journey of wrestling and, and struggling uh, with depression and anxiety and even suicidal thoughts and, and, and his testimony was so powerful and, and I just want to encourage you if you missed that go ahead and go back online you can find it it's all there it's all available to you but this is what I know I think this is a very relevant topic for us as human beings I find that uh, even over the last two years I've seen more and more people struggle with their mental health People struggling with depression, anxiety, fear, uh, but even suicidal thoughts. And if you look at the numbers, even just suicidal ideation, the, the, the numbers have gone way up. And so for me as a pastor, it's important that we speak on things that are relevant to people's lives. And this is something I believe is relevant. And, uh, and so I was so proud of David for sharing his story. How many of you know it takes tremendous courage to stand in front of a group of people and share your struggles? Yes, and you know, I share my struggles all the time, so I'm kind of used to it. But you know, David was so, I just, I was so proud of him, just just how courageous he was. Um, And so we're going to continue that series today, and I've got some things I want to say about it, um, but I wanted to start here with our series verse, and uh, he shared that last week, but I'll just read it to you. It's out of the book of Job. And if you've ever read the book of Job, there's a lot going on in the book of Job. Uh, Job is a righteous man. And in this kind of cosmic drama that unfolds, the enemy comes and says, well, I don't think he's as righteous as you say he is. And so there becomes this tension and all these problems start to happen. And guys, it was bad. Like it was real bad. Like Job went through some difficult difficult things excuse me my throat is a little dry um but but in job chapter 12 verse 22 i'll just read this to you listen to these words he uncovers mysteries hidden in darkness he brings light to the deepest gloom now, depression can be described sometimes as gloominess, can it? And so there's all kinds of words for that. You know, there's all kinds of words. But, but I, in this particular passage of Scripture of Job, what you see Job saying is there is darkness, there is gloom. We all probably at some point in our lives have experienced it. If we haven't, it's coming. <laughs> but listen, he, he, he says that somehow he... God brings light to that place. Isn't it good news that God brings light to those gloomy places? Isn't it good news that the Bible describes Jesus as the light of the world? That it's Jesus who comes into the darkness and illuminates that which is dark and brings life. It's amazing to me to think that wherever light is, darkness can't exist. Think about that for a second. Wherever light shows up, darkness goes, whew, And see, this is the imagery that we get from the scriptures, is that yes, darkness exists, gloom exists, depression exists, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, these things exist. But oh, thank God that Jesus also exists. Thank God that he's the light of the world. And so we're going to talk about Jesus a lot today. But just for a moment, I think it's important that we zero in on something that is really important. And it's this idea, and this is the big idea for today, is that the enemy tells us a lot of lies about depression. I don't know if you know that. But the enemy, whether you know you have one or not, some of us know it, some of us are very familiar with it, some of us are a little skeptical as to whether or not this enemy, this Satan, this guy, whatever exists. Now, if I were to ask you this question, do you believe in good and evil? Most people would be like, yeah, I've seen good and I've seen evil and it exists so let's just start there the bible personifies evil in the person of satan does that make sense so 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 i believe that it's a being that's real now you may not be there yet but it's important that you understand that what we're talking about is there there is good and there's evil there are lies and there are truth there are things that are real and in our postmodern world sometimes that's hard to get to isn't it because everything we believe, it seems like, is kind of just this amalgamation, this kind of pluralism, and, 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 and it's really all predicated on how do you feel. Friends, not a great way to live. Not a great way to create a society. Not a great way to create a church. Not a great way, period, to navigate your life. And I just want to be honest, the Bible speaks contrary to that idea. Now, the Bible loves feelings. Feelings are good. Feelings are indicators that God gave us to help us know what's really going on. There's nothing wrong with feelings, nothing wrong with emotions. But if we're governed by them, it can be problematic. And so, so it's so important that we understand that in this life, we not only can know the truth, but we also can see the lies. And the reason we can do that is because the Bible helps us see it. And, matter of fact, one thing that we all need to see is that we have an enemy and that enemy is busy. And if you're going to go to battle, it's good that you know the enemy so you know the strategies and tactics of your enemy so that you can make sure you see it and then be able to replace it with with what's actually true. Does that make sense? So we're going to spend the remainder of our time identifying some of these lies, identifying some of these tactics as it relates specifically to this whole conversation around Depression, anxiety, suicidal thoughts, and the struggle that is very real for human beings. So, does that make sense? Everybody's on board, making okay, good. I just wanted to make sure you guys are a little quiet today. Yes, there you go. Look at that. That's so good. I'm so proud of you. So here's the big idea. The enemy tells us a lot of lies about depression. A couple of things I think is important that we know about Satan is that his tactics are very intentionally designed to create deception so that we we will feel a certain level of shame. And then when we feel that level of shame, it affects our personhood and it leads to our destruction. That's his goal. It's always his goal and that's always what he's doing. But in order to do that, he has various things that he's doing, one of which is he's always lying. The Bible says that the devil is a liar. Matter of fact, the Bible says not only is he a liar, but he says he's the father of lies. So he's like the originator. He's the OG of lies. And so lies came into this world. Matter of fact, John says it this way. He says, for you are children of your father, the devil. This is Jesus speaking to people. Wouldn't you hate to be on the other end of this? So Jesus is speaking. He's saying, you're children of your father, the devil, and you love to do evil things as he does. He was a murderer from the beginning. So not only is he a liar, he's a murderer, the Bible says. He was a murderer from the beginning. He has always hated the truth because there is no truth in him. Get that. No truth in him. When he lies, it is consistent with his character For he is a liar and the father of lies. And then in verse 45, Jesus goes on and says, So when I tell you the truth, you just naturally don't believe me. See what he's getting at? He's saying that that in life, we can actually be deceived at such a level that when the truth shows up, i.e. Jesus, we don't even see it because we believe the lie that's been set before us that's kind of a scary thing to think about isn't it that somehow we can be so wrapped up in a lie that we can't even see the truth scary thought i don't know about you but sometimes i've seen that in our world you know what i'm talking about when you're like looking and you're seeing the the group of people doing whatever the group of people is doing and you're just like how in the world did people think this was right like, you have this moment, like, are we all losing it? I've had that thought recently. And so, so, so there's something important here, because if we don't know the truth, then the truth can't set us free, and if we don't know Jesus, and we don't know his word, then what can happen is we actually start to believe a lie we may even be functioning in a lie right now and that's why it's so important that we come back to the word of god so that we understand now i don't know about you but is it isn't it true like when you're looking for something like if i don't know like maybe you were trying to discover uh, something the first thing that you do in a modern society i've figured out is you type it into google right like if you're like what's this oh it's google you know, what's it like? I mean, literally this morning, my family and I were driving to church and and on the way to church, we always go a certain way. And and, and, and every time we go there, there's always our big uh, neighborhood friendly uh, groundhog. And he's just always there. And I don't know if you've ever seen the groundhog. We've even named him. Uh, and so we we talk about him. And and the crazy thing is we went by today and he wasn't there. And we were a little surprised that he wasn't there. And people started having conversations about the groundhog. And, and they were saying, you know, well, maybe the flood. I mean, I don't know. The flood may have, you know, disrupted him. Or maybe his hole got filled up or, you know, whatever. And then it led to this conversation about groundhogs and can groundhogs swim? <laughs> and so when you're asked the question, can gr- groundhogs swim, what do you do? You Google it. But seriously, we're having this conversation on the way to church and somebody was like, well, I don't know. I mean, I I, I think they can swim. And uh, I mean, my son was like, well, I I don't think so. I don't think they're buoyant. I'm like. Buoyant, you know, and I was like, "Well, I, I just said, well, I think all mammals can probably swim. I'm, mean, I, I don't know, but I think mammals can swim. I think it's, it's good." And you know, and then somebody else says something else, and it goes back and forth, and then finally, my son's like, "I'll just Google it." So he Google's it, and he, and he, he finds out that nothing really, uh, but it, 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 <laughs> the person said something about, "Well, I've never seen it do it, but I think it can." So that was kind of the answer. I'm like, "Can we find a better source?" Right. But that's what happens, right? We just go, and, and I'm curious in our own lives sometimes. What are we going to for our source? What are we relying on? What is it that we're actually saying, I will build my life on this reality, right? Now, I know that groundhogs aren't necessarily the thing that you're going to build your life on, <laughs> hopefully. But, but what is it? Like, when you think about what you believe, when you think about what's true, do we just absorb what's coming at us do we just believe what so-and-so said or hey they had a degree from this place so they must be smart they got something you know what i'm talking about i just found that you know sometimes it's curious to me how infrequently believers in jesus christ go to the source That what we will do is we'll go here or we'll go there. But it's like, at what point did we actually go to the source? And so what I want to do today is I want to speak to the reality that there is a lie around these matters that we're talking about. And I think it's in general, but specifically around depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts. But I think there are lies out there that we've believed. And my heart for us today is that we would address and find some of those lies. We would recognize where they come from so that we can replace them with the truth. Because if we'll replace them with the truth, then all of a sudden now, we can base our life on it. And isn't it a scary thing to think about that we literally live in a world that often is predicated on the emotions and the feelings of human beings? Did you know that? That's how we find truth nowadays. Guys, that's scary. Like if you think about how, like think about your mood right i mean i know some of you are just very stable like you don't have any moods you know no problems you never get angry frustrated or nothing right just but think about you think about your feelings think about how sometimes your feelings can be up and down and this and that and i feel this way and it feels good to me and and so we we we, we go through this up and down and i just think it's a horrible way to live matter of fact i'll go a step further and i say it's very unbiblical It's contrary to what the word of God says. But we live in this postmodern culture that kind of promotes this idea and that somehow truth is relative. Truth is not relative, friend. You ever heard of gravity? (laughs) I'm offending some people in the room, maybe. You're like, but uh, pastor, no, gravity's real. Even if you don't believe in it, it's real. And I could show you, right? Like we could go up on the roof. And like you don't believe it, <laughs> some of you are like, wow, that's kind of scary. <laughs> I'm just trying to teach them. I'm giving them an object lesson, right? <laughs> but you see my point. We live in a world, and I just think it's most important now that we find the truth because if we don't find the truth what are we building our lives on and if you're a believer in Jesus Christ then you have to acknowledge that this is the Bible this is the word of God this is for the people of God so that we'll know God's voice there's no other way that you know who Jesus is without this you understand you didn't live in ancient near east when Jesus was alive so you've never even met him have you this is how you know him See, the word of God helps us understand who Jesus is, what he was about, the story of Christ, so that we can connect with the father that loves us. It's all right there. But that is what we have to discover. And we have to replace these lies with the truth because the devil is the father of lies. And when we live a lie, we will end up in a horrible place. So the devil's a liar. The devil lies about all kinds of things. The devil always over promises and underdelivers. He does. He'll take you further than you want to go every time. The devil is busy trying to convince you of a deception, of a lie. Matter of fact, the Bible even goes on to say that the devil is an accuser. He's an accuser of the brethren. He's an accuser of the sisteren. Can you say it that way? I don't even know if that's a word. The brothers and sisters. He's an accuser, the Bible says. In Revelation twelve ten. we see it. For the accuser of the brothers and sisters have been thrown down to earth, praise God, that when it all comes around, that when it all comes around, that this accuser will be handled. He will be thrown down and addressed. And the Bible says that he'll be thrown down to the earth, the one who accuses them before God day and night. That's a lot of accusing. That's a lot of accusation. But that's what he's in the business of. Matter of fact, why is he doing that? He's trying to remind us of something. You know what he's trying to remind us of? That we are sinful, and that we're unworthy of God's love that's what he's trying to convince you of now if you're a believer in Jesus Christ you know that yeah I've got that problem but because of Jesus now because of Jesus the righteousness of Christ is given to me and so when Jesus when God sees me he sees Jesus guys that's good news that's good news And so my friends, we have to understand that he's busy trying to convince us of things that aren't true about ourselves, to believe shameful thoughts that lead to our destruction. Now, he's not trying to correct us so that we can get better and repent and get back to God. No, no, he's trying to convince you that you're a worm. He's trying to convince you that you're unworthy of God's love, that you don't belong in the family of God. He's trying to convince you that not only do you sin, but you, you are dirty. Does that make sense? Your personhood is messed up. And so my point is, is that when we know the lies of the devil, we can see these accusations. You know, if if you've ever read the story of Job, you see it. Like Job is being accused of all kinds of things. Job is on trial, literally, where you see him going through this difficulty and these problems and the enemy is coming at him and saying, you are not as righteous as you say you are. And God's like, that's my man. That's the guy. He's going to be fine. But he's getting accused and accused and accused and oh, it's so horrible. It's such a difficult situation because the enemy is trying to discredit the believer before God. But if you know Jesus, if you know the truth of the gospel, that can't happen. But sometimes isn't it true that we believe lies? You know what I'm talking about? In those quiet moments, when you start to think you're doing all right, and the enemy shows up and starts to say things, I, it happens to me all the time. Do you guys have any of this? Or am I just crazy? Like, I, I literally, I was driving home from, I was up north trying to mess with our family's cabin. And I'm literally driving home and I'm amazed at how my mind wanders. You ever have your mind wander to something? And it's like in that wandering, I started to think about my past. I literally started to think about my family and some of the awful conversations that have happened over the years. And I started to think, maybe, I, maybe I'm a horrible person. <laughs> you ever thought that? Like, you ever had those moments? Where, and you're like, wait, 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 wait. No, why am I doing that? But you start to, you know, you start to think. No, and I'm not saying that if you've done something wrong and you feel convicted about it, you should repent about it and get it right. But if whatever you're feeling leads you to feel wormy, it's not from God. Does that make sense? The enemy wants you to feel worming. God wants you to feel conviction that leads to repentance, that leads to restoration of the relationship. That's why it's so important we understand the difference between condemnation and conviction. So very important that we get this. And that's what's happening with the devil when he accuses us. He's trying to get us to forget God's love and his mercy for us. Of course you can't stand before a holy God without Jesus, but if you've got jesus you can walk right in you can say i'm here and god says come on in kid i love you even with your messed up life and their, their thoughts and all the things that go through your head i still love you you, you can see what i'm getting to see the difference and so that's what the enemy wants us to convince be convinced of and it goes all the way back to the beginning he's a liar from the beginning he's been lying from the beginning matter of fact listen to this in genesis chapter 3 genesis chapter 3 verse 4 this is the enemy speaking and he's speaking to eve and he says this you won't die the serpent replied to the woman now that that seems like just a simple phrase but wrapped up in that phrase is a lot friends If you know the story, I don't know if you do, but in the very beginning God created the heavens and the earth and he created man and he created woman and it was there in that garden that everything was perfect. It was Eden, it was perfect. But There was this tree, right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil and he said, don't don't eat the fruit of that tree. Now I don't know about you, but sometimes when people tell me not to do something, I'm just being honest, I kind of want to do it. Anybody else like that? <laughs> some of you are like, no, I'm very compliant. I follow the rules all the time. Like, I don't know what it is about, you know, and, and I think that's how the law works. The law is there to help us to see what's right and wrong. And some of us see the law and we want to break it. And that, that's just me. I have a rebellious spirit, apparently, and I just see it and I want to break it. Like there's this place up at our cabin, there's this road that says, don't go down it. Every time I see it, I want to go down it. Matter of fact, I've went down it. <laughs> Isn't that messed up? It's weird. And my family was like, what are you doing? I was like, I gotta do it. And then when we got to the end of the road, there were people and then it was really messed up. So we are like, oh gosh, we gotta get out of here. <laughs> so, so there's this, this way that God says, this is right. Walk in it. What Eve does, she ignores that. The enemy says, you won't die. I mean, I know God said that, but Eh. So here's the question that usually the devil's asking us. Did God really say that? Did, did he really mean it? Like, you know what I'm talking about? Like when you read it's like, is that real? And you know what's happening in that moment? Now, in this moment, death entered the world. Like physical death, spiritual death, all of that entered the world. They were kicked out of paradise. And we've been trying to get back ever since. Thank God for Jesus. But my point is, is that in that moment... Rebellion came into the world Death, physical, spiritual All of it came into the world in that moment But you know what else is happening in that moment That I think sometimes we miss I think that yes The devil was interested in the whole death thing But I think what he was most interested in Is getting us to believe that God was untrustworthy That he couldn't be trusted That his word wasn't true that when he said this that meant this. <laughs> and so my point is now all of us do it we all do feel theolo- we all have theological gymnastics and various things that we do to try and convince ourselves that that's not what Jesus said, right? You know, we all kind of do it. But my point is is that God was trying to convince them that I am who I say I am. I am trustworthy. And when I say I'm going to do something, I do it. The Bible says that. So all the promises of God are true. So the enemy's goal is to get you to believe that that's not true. So that God can't be trusted. So when he says in his word, do this, you say, "Ah, maybe it's not so bad. You know what I'm talking about? I'll do it. And so that's what was happening in the garden. the, The enemy was trying to introduce doubt. Trying to introduce doubt in a relationship. And the moment that door was opened, there was a crack there, and it led to us starting to question whether or not God could be trusted. And why does this matter? Because if the enemy can get us to believe that God isn't trustworthy then he can get us to believe that his word isn't true. And if he can get us to believe that his word isn't true, we will believe what? A lie. You see the logic. And I know sometimes we don't like logic, but I think it's important that we look at it because if we're going to build our life on something, we probably want to build it on something that actually lasts, that matters. And it scares me to death to think about that we live in a world today that it's like every person, whatever they say is truth. I mean they could have a degree and we're like yeah that sounds good or they can do this or you know maybe they've had some experience and we're like yeah that sounds good and we just buy into it but guys isn't it a scary thing to think about that, that that we could build our life on somebody or somebody's thought or somebody's idea that's only been around maybe 50 years why don't we go back to something that's lasted why don't we go back to something that's been around a while? Like, when we're thinking about relationships and how people should interact and how people should do this and how people should do this and how people, shouldn't we go back to the, 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 the foundation that's been going on pretty good? Like, I think the Bible's doing pretty good. Don't you? Like, I mean, it's, it's, it's faced up to every accusation over time. It's, I mean, it, guys, it's solid. So if you're going to build your life on something, this is a good thing to build your life on. And so the enemy comes to convince us that that's not true. Now, I was reading in the prophet Jeremiah. And if you know the prophet Jeremiah, prophet Jeremiah is a, they call him the weeping prophet. You know, he's very emotional. And so he expresses his emotion in his writing. And and he was writing about a situation in Israel because Israel had rebelled against God. Things have gotten really bad and they were basically on the brink of exile. And so listen to these words from Jeremiah in chapter 8, verse 22. Jeremiah is crying out. Can you picture it? Like there's tears in his eyes. And he's crying out. And he's saying this. There is no medicine in Gilead. There is no physician there. And then he says this. Why is there no healing for the wounds of my people? He's broken. He's looking around and he's wondering why. There's no healing. Where are all the doctors? Where is the healing that God says? we're God, we are your covenant people, and yet we are in this situation. What in the world is happening? There is no healing for the wounds of the people. Now, what's so fascinating about what Jeremiah is saying is that as a result of what Israel did, their rebellion and their ignoring of the truth, led to them being in the situation they're in. Does that make sense? So it's important you get this. And so Jeremiah is saying these things, but he's also recognizing the whole time that while he's saying it, they've done this to themselves. But he's heartbroken over it. He's crying out to God, and he's, he's, he's asking God, is there any other way? It's a hopeless situation. I think depression can feel hopeless. Anxiety can feel hopeless. Hopeless. When you have suicidal thoughts, you're feeling hopeless. But you know what's so fascinating about Jeremiah? Is that what's so fascinating is that Jeremiah is not just trying to help us see or help us understand how he's feeling. What he's doing is he's actually trying to get you to see how God is feeling. See, this is important. Sometimes we separate the prophet from from God. But in this particular matter, there's this interchange in this kind of intermarrying, so to speak, where when Jeremiah speaks and says, this is the reality, this is what's going on, and I'm so broken up about it. He's also saying that that is God too, like that God is actually having this experience. Matter of fact, Walter Brueggemann said it this way. He said likely, this is likely that that this is the pathos of God and the poet Jeremiah here are indestructible. that they're one. It's important. Now, why would that be important? Well, because think about this. It's not just that Jeremiah's heart is breaking. It's that God's heart is breaking. Like his heart is breaking for the people. His heart is broken over that. Now, why would God's heart be broken? Because he loves you because he wants to help us. He wants to to be able to help us. But so often in our lives, we rebel and we reject it. And I I think one of the only ways to kind of fully see this is if you're a parent and you have a child and that child was hurting at a very deep level, how would you feel? My friends, you understand. God, it feels that when we rebel when we walk away it's not just that he's sitting up there going all right i get to hit him again no he loves you just like you would as a parent if your kid was broken you you would be some broken human being if if you just want to add to it do you know what i mean like if you want to add to your kid's pain you got problems But my point is, is that God is empathizing here. He's he's relating to this situation and Jeremiah is trying to get them to repent, but guys, they don't. And as a result, they end up in exile and it's a horrible situation for them. And what in the world does this have to do with depression, anxiety? Well, I think it's true that sometimes in our life, we know the truth, but we reject it. We know what God tells us to do and we don't do it. And that is true. But here's the thing I'm trying to help us see too is that when it comes to depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts, you can't always make that connection. You know what I'm talking about? Like there was a time, in, and this is a story that is in the Bible, it's with Jesus, but they come to him and it says, Whose father and mother sinned that this man would be blind? Do you know what I'm talking about? And she's like, What are you talking about? is that about their sin you said i'm getting at like sometimes it's not what we think it is that we connect these dots that aren't necessarily true and what i'm trying to introduce into our conversation today is that sometimes as a church as a people of god we've failed in this area that we connect these dots unnecessarily in other words what did you do to deserve what you have does that make sense And we've connected depression, anxiety, and suicidal thoughts in that way. And what happens is it's driven people deeper into the darkness. And the darkness is not where they need to be. They need to be into the light, right? And so as a church, we have to learn to recognize that there are things that are happening in human beings' lives that are not a direct result of a willful transgression against God. There are things that are happening in our life that, yes, are a byproduct of sin. But it doesn't necessarily mean that it was something they did. See, sin entered the world when Adam and Eve did what they did. Matter of fact, the Bible says that sin is all over creation. It's all over the place. And so anything in my life that's broken outside of the created order that God originated, that means it's a byproduct of that. So there's a generalized kind of pool that we're all swimming in does that make sense and as a result there's brokenness there's brokenness in my life there's brokenness in your life there's brokenness in creation there's brokenness in my health my body there's certain things that my body doesn't do that it should do because of god created it that way but because of the brokenness of the world i now have to deal with it does that make sense everybody getting this this is important and the reason this is important is because we can't just simply make these jumps, I would even call them massive leaps sometimes, when people are dealing and struggling with mental health, that it's not always a choice that they made, that it's something else going on. And, and, and I'll make my argument in just a second, because the enemy is busy telling us lies, The enemy is busy trying to get us to believe deceptions and here's the thing if he can get us to believe the lies about even some of the things we've just been discussing what can happen is he puts us in greater bondage and that greater bondage leads to worse things because usually depression and anxiety lead to other things i mean suicidal thoughts don't just show up most of the time there's usually a process And I would just say that there's darkness that leads to that process. And we have to know better as people. We have to be able to see the lies and identify them. So I have three lies that I want to share with you today. These are three lies from the devil if you're paying attention about depression. These lies can hold us back from getting the help that we need, the freedom that we're trying to find. Matter of fact, I'd say that these are exactly what the enemy wants. He wants us to believe these things But I'm asking you today to recognize the lie and replace it with the truth because the truth will set you free. Here's lie number one, if you're taking notes. Lie number one is depression is your fault. Depression is your fault. Here's the reality. Depression is a sickness of the mind that needs more than just happy thoughts. It needs more than just happy thoughts. Now, pastor, are you saying I shouldn't think happy thoughts? No, I'm saying go on, do your your happy thoughts. Put on happy music. Do whatever you got to do. Okay, there's nothing wrong with that. Matter of fact, the Bible would even say that. Think on these things, right? Think on these things that are good and pure and holy and all those things. Speak truth over your life. Speak words that are uh, uh, holy, life-giving. Matter of fact, the Bible says you hold the power of life and death in your words. So you should speak life words, yes? Of course you should. But sometimes those words... Aren't going to necessarily change what the person is dealing with. That's what's hard to get your brain around sometimes. Now, it's true that good words can help you. Matter of fact, neuroplasticity studies around that. It's amazing. You can literally grow new brain matter. Think about that. New brain matter by speaking life words. They, they, they can show you, and all the little dendrites and whatever they call them, you know, or just start to grow. It's amazing how God created the body. That when that's happening, how it can actually train your mind in a different way. But that doesn't necessarily mean it's going to change the situation. So important we get this because God wants us to see this because sadness and depression are different. You know what I mean? Like sadness can be addressed by thinking happy thoughts. Stop thinking about the sadness. Focus on the good, right? Thanksgiving, you know, all that stuff. But depression is different because depression is something that's in the mind and there's a sickness there, but that sickness is coming from somewhere. And that's what I want to talk about. And this is important. The lie number two is depression isn't physical. The, the lie is that depression isn't physical. In other words, that it's, it's just a spiritual thing. It's just as, you know, if you'll think happy thoughts, you'll be fine. Uh, if you pray harder, come on. If you read your Bible enough that you're going to get out of this. And guys, I know people that are strong in the faith that have prayed and they've read their Bible and they're still depressed. So, so how do we jive with that? How do we make? So here's the point I'm trying to make is that, that the sickness in the mind comes from somewhere. And guess where it comes from? It comes from the chemicals in your body. See, there are three hormones that you have in your body. God made them. I'm going to share them with you. If you don't know them, here they are. Number, three, number one is serotonin. Number two is dopamine. And number three is adrenaline. Well, I don't know if you've ever heard of these things. And you're like, why are we going back to science class? Well, I've got to explain it to you. This is important. So, so these three hormones are very important. Now, if one of those hormones is off, do you think it affects you? Yes. So, if serotonin's off, it affects you. If dopamine's off, it affects you. If, if adrenaline is off, come on, it affects you. And so we know that this is true. Serotonin is the mood regulator. Serotonin is a mood regulator. Some of you are like, holy Lord, maybe that's what's wrong with you. Maybe that's why you're so moody. Your serotonin levels, and I don't want you going to... Do not weaponize my sermon on somebody else, all right? You apply it to you. But, but listen... Sometimes our serotonin levels get off and our mood can be affected. So when we talk about depression and so that, that can be affected. Dopamine, that's a great—I mean, dopamine's great. Like, that's—a lot of times that's why people are taking drugs. They're trying to apply that drug to get that dopamine hit. So that dopamine is the feel-good hormone. So it's good. God made it. You get too much of it, come on. It's a problem, Right? The last one is adrenaline. So adrenaline is the fight or flight hormone. And so when somebody comes at you, depending on how you're made up, you might run or you might be like, right? I mean, this is, and so there's a fight or flight. When that happens, your adrenaline goes up, okay? And you got your head on a swivel. Now, why does this matter? It's important. So I was sitting in a doctor's office. And I'd been struggling with uh, just really bad anxiety for like a year. Like it literally never went away. Like I would wake up with it, stomach in knots. And I don't know if you've ever had that. And I remember I was talking with my medical doctor about this. And he's a man of faith. He, he loves God. And, and I was just telling him, like, I, I was so, I didn't know what else to do. I mean, I'm praying, I'm reading my Bible, but for some reason, I still have this anxiety. It was like it was always with me. And some of you can relate to this. But I I tell you, I I felt in many ways that I was powerless over this situation. And it it, it, it was in that room that my doctor said, okay, son, that's how I said it. He didn't say that, but let me teach you something. I'm like, all right, here we go. And so he starts to describe to me how God made the body. Right, he starts to talk to me about science and faith and how that all works. And, and he was talking about these hormones. And he was talking about how what can happen is you get in a situation, maybe it's a difficulty, a challenge, maybe it's trauma, maybe you go through a grief, or I mean, whatever. What can happen is your body feels threatened. Like your mind, you're, like you feel threatened by whatever that is your adrenaline kicks in, okay? So your adrenaline kicks in because it feels threatened. Now, it doesn't mean that you're like in a fist fight. It doesn't mean that. It just means that your body is on high alert because of whatever happened, the trauma, whatever it is. So adrenaline takes over. And you're, I mean, you are popping on adrenaline. But what happens eventually is adrenaline goes away. Like you can't live on adrenaline, Right? So, so, so your adrenaline is like, okay, I'm tired of being in this place. I can't keep doing this. So what happens is adrenaline starts to slow down and you have a crash. So adrenaline goes, well, the next thing you know, your body is so out of whack because all it's been doing is producing adrenaline that your serotonin levels are just in the tank. Does that make sense? And that can happen to anybody. Like that can happen. You can be like, normally hormones are great. But that can happen to anybody to where adrenaline has been running so hard that eventually what happens when the adrenaline shuts off that your serotonin levels are so low that it literally can affect your mood. Like it literally can take you into a dark place. And this is so important that we understand the science and the chemicals behind it because I think in some ways it helps to bring it into the light. Don't you think? Because if I went through a tragedy, if I went through a trauma and all of a sudden I go off of that adrenaline and I start to feel depressed, maybe, maybe if I understood that a little better or maybe if other people understood that a little better, I wouldn't, their first thought wouldn't be, what the heck's wrong with pastor? I bet he's not reading his Bible enough. Maybe there's something else going on. You know, maybe, maybe it's not just that. And, and I think this is so important. But can I be honest with you? I remember sitting in that doctor's office and when he was explaining this stuff to me it made sense i was like that makes sense and if stuff like for me if things make sense hey that makes sense let's let's go with that that's good but i can tell you there was this something in the back of me like in the back of my mind or my thoughts that was like you so you can't handle this what are you like a wuss and I don't know maybe that's just how I was raised but it's like man up and like like these thoughts and then even worse I started having these spiritual thoughts that were like if you do this and you know what I'm talking about if I take antidepressants in that moment that I lacked faith now I'm just saying, that's how I felt. But if I felt that way, I'm sure other people have felt that way. When you come face to face with something that you don't know how to solve. And then somebody of faith shows you a door that could be for your good. But sometimes we won't even walk through the door because of the stigma. Guys, what I'm trying to do is bring this into the light. As a church, guys, look, here's what i is how This is how my doctor helped me, you ready? He said this. So when you get a headache... What do you do? You take an aspirin. You take it, uh, ibuprofen, right? When you get a headache, you take ibuprofen. I mean, I pop ibuprofen like it's candy. Some of you are like, well, pastor, that's not good for your liver. Relax. I do it all the time. But, but yeah, so, 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 so do you see what I'm getting at? Like there's no, phobia, there's no stigma around an aspirin. There's no stigma around ibuprofen. But there's this stigma around depression and friends i'm just saying as a church we've got to be able to enter into those challenges and we have to be able to say that the truth of the gospel applies in that place too and if god created things and if he created doctors to know how to work with the brain and address hormones and all that stuff normally we're good with it but when it comes to mental health we all get weird and i'm just saying let's just not do that anymore Let's just be smarter about it. Let's bring these things in and say, you know what? The Bible does address these things, and this is important. And so I think it's so important that we see this. And I remember I left that day feeling like God has helped me find a way out of the hole that I was in. So my dad almost died of a heart attack when he was 43 years old, massive heart attack. Now, you don't usually die of a massive heart attack at 43 unless something's going on. You know what I mean? Like, there's, you know, there's usually something up. Well, come to find out, they saved him. But come to find out, he had some issues. So he had some cholesterol issues. And and, and you know what? I'm his son. You know what that means? I got some cholesterol issues the crazy thing about my body is my body doesn't produce good cholesterol but it makes a lot of bad cholesterol and I can't stop it it's just it's just what it does now that is a byproduct of the fall not because of something I did like I went out and I you know I mean I could eat all the great food in the world I'm saying that genetically there's a brokenness there does that make sense and this is important so there's a brokenness there God wants to help us with that. So sometimes there's medicine. Sometimes there's something, you know. So I take medicine so that I can make the right cholesterol and deal with the stuff that ain't good. Now, if I told you that, which I just did in public, do you think less of me? Do you think I'm a horrible human being that I took medicine? Well, of course you don't. And if you do, you're messed up. And I'll just say it. But you see what I'm getting at? we've got to get rid of these phobias we've got to get rid of these stigmas and the moment we get rid of the stigmas those things can come into the light and the light can heal it that's why this is so important and so the last lie i'll have to share with you and that is that d- depression should be kept a secret depression should be kept a secret the truth is is when the problem is illuminated by the light of god's word and his precepts it can be helped and it can be healed Isn't that good news? That Jesus can do something about it. The worst thing we can do is suffer in silence. The worst thing that we can do is suffer in secret because that's exactly what the devil wants. Did you know it? Ephesians 5.13 says it this way, but everything exposed by the light becomes visible and everything that is illuminated becomes a light. See what what the Bible is saying? See what Paul's saying? Is that when it comes into the light, It can be healed see icky things grow in the dark don't you know it have you ever been in those dark places like a basement or something and you're like oh my gosh that's gross some of you have that experience with your shower oh i i know but i think the bottom line is is that we're only we we really are only as sick as our secrets And it's so important that we see that when we allow these secrets to come into the light, we can be helped. And I know it's scary sometimes to do it, but the enemy wants you to be alone. The enemy wants you convinced that you have to suffer alone. And the church has to become a safe place for people to be able to say, you know what, yeah, I'm struggling here. I'm struggling with depression. I'm struggling with this. I'm struggling with that. Matter of fact, last night I thought about killing myself. You know, we've got to be a community of faith, of healing, that can enter into people's pain and suffering so that the devil's lies can be addressed and the truth of the gospel can come. So I'll I'll finish with this. In James chapter 5, verse 16. And this is important, so just stay with me. James chapter 5, verse 16. Perhaps you've heard this before. Confess your faults one to another and pray for one another that ye may be healed. This is the King James Version. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. Now, you may have heard it this way. Confess your sins one to another. You ever heard that? Confess your sins one to another? It's interesting that the King James Version here translates the word faults. Now, why is that? Why? Well, that? I think that should draw our attention. Why is that? Well, because the word itself is actually not the word that's typically used for a willful transgression. Does that make sense? So it's, not, it's a different word, and it actually means something different. It, it, it literally means like this, to, like, to make a mistake, to err, to fall. You know what I mean? A lapse, um, a weakness, an accident. Does that, that kind of make sense, what I'm saying? So, so what, what James is doing is he's drawing a distinction between willful transgressions. In other words, I'm going to rebel against God and the thing that's just common to all of us, that we're broken human beings, that we've all made mistakes, that there are situations in our life that aren't necessarily a byproduct of a choice I made. But it doesn't change the fact that James says, bring that into the light. Bring that to a friend. Bring that to somebody that can help you in that situation. Does that make sense? And so when we bring these things to God, healing can happen. And so here's the big truth as we end. I believe you can be holy and medicated. And so my point is, and I think the Bible allows for that tension, that we can be holy and we can be medicated. Some people might need that medication temporarily, and some people might need it the rest of their days until Jesus comes back and they are given their perfected body in the next life. And I think that's what the Bible teaches. Is it true that God can heal your depression instantaneously? Of course it is. Of course it is. Is it true that sometimes God heals your depression with medicine? Yes. Is it true that sometimes God heals your depression because you get some friends around you and over time it starts to ease up and and your serotonin levels get back and you know and you start to see again and believe again and you know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah. And I'll just say this to you friends. We got to do whatever it takes to keep doing exactly what God wants us to be doing because we're all broken We're all desperate and we're all in need of a Savior. Let's pray together. God, I thank you. I thank you for your word and how it challenges us, how it it shows us the truth, how it shows us the lies, how it helps us understand our enemy and how it helps us understand what we need to be doing. Jesus, we thank you for it. God, I know in this room there are some that are struggling in silence. may feel shame and it may not even be depression, it may not be anxiety it may not be any of that but it's something else that the enemy has convinced you that you're a worm that you're not worthy of God's love that, you're, that, you, that you don't belong in the family of God you know I've been in that place. It's a hard place to be. And so as a pastor, I just want to pray for anybody. Like if you feel like you're struggling with some of that, you haven't brought it into the light yet, you haven't asked for help, you just feel alone. I want to pray for you. God, I want to pray for anybody in this room that feels that way. Holy Spirit, would you come would you do a mighty work? Lord, I need uh, we need you to do a mighty work. God, would you begin to speak life over death? Holy Spirit, would you bring light to any dark area? Jesus, light of the world, would you come and shine into whatever situation is represented in this room. God, I pray for victory, for freedom, for healing, for hope. That the love of Christ, the mercy of God, would be manifested in the people. If that's you today, if, if if you're like I'm, that's prayers for me. Just simply say to God, God, I receive this. I need your help. Perhaps you're here today, and as I was talking about this relationship with Jesus, you'd have to honestly say that that's not your story. Um, you know, maybe. You went to church, or maybe you went to a camp, or you know—I don't know. But you would—you would honestly say, "I don't—I don't relate to God. I don't have that relationship." Um, I believe that the Bible says that if you can just acknowledge that and your need for a Savior, that you would have enough faith to do that. The Bible says that Jesus would come in and he would change your heart. He would change your standing before God. He would begin the process of of transforming you into the person that he wants you to be. But you need Jesus, you need the Holy Spirit to do it. And so I wanna give you an opportunity to respond to that gospel. Jesus loves you so much that he gave his life for you to be able to restore you back to the Father who loves you very much. And so what I want to ask you to do is respond to that by saying a prayer. You know, the Bible says that if you'll confess with your mouth and believe in your heart that Jesus is the Savior, that Jesus is the Lord, that what can happen is that he would enter in and you begin a relationship with him and that's my heart for you today. And so what I want you to do, if, the, if you want that, on the count of three, I'm going to ask you to do something. I'm going to ask you to raise your hand as a statement of faith. No one's looking around. I just want to give you this chance so I can pray for you specifically. And so right now on the count of three, just encourage you to raise your hand. One, two, three. Go ahead. Just raise it up. Just raise it up. God bless you. Good. Awesome alright so if that's you whether you're online or whether you're here in person I, I want to offer you this prayer in it. so let's let's share this prayer together church let's all pray together so no one feels alone so repeat these words Heavenly Father I need a Savior would you save me today I want to begin a relationship with you Will you be my Lord? Will you fill me with your Holy Spirit? I choose this day to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Can we celebrate anybody that was making a decision today? It's so good.